You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. Today we begin our study of the end times we are calling What Lies Ahead. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. I'm not sure any of us have ever escaped that moment where there was a massive breakdown in communication. Uh, one such time that I learned that has forever stuck with me, I, years ago doing student ministry, uh, I was having breakfast with one of my high school students. And as he showed up for breakfast, he was wearing a United States Army sweatshirt. And as he showed up, it was one of those weathered kind of distressed sweatshirts. And I thought, well, he's obviously had this for some time. And I actually thought, I've I bet you that was his dad's. Maybe his dad served in the army. And so when he walked in and sat down and all that's going through my brain and I look at him and I said, hey, I didn't know your dad was in the army. And I got one of those things that only a high school boy could do where he goes, and I thought, what was that? And he goes, he wasn't. I'm like, well, what's with the sweatshirt? And he goes, get this. I told my mom I wanted a Navy sweatshirt for Christmas. I said, Navy? He goes, blue. I wanted a Navy blue sweatshirt for Christmas. And she went and looked for a United States Navy sweatshirt, couldn't find a United States Navy sweatshirt, so she got the next best thing, which was a United States Army sweatshirt. And here, I still don't have a blue sweatshirt. I've got a green sweatshirt that says U.S. Army on it. And I thought, isn't that just how life goes? I've been on the one that thought, I've been on the end of that where I thought I was really clear. Hey, I just want a Navy sweatshirt. I've been on the other end where I was the one that thought, oh, you clearly told me what you want. Clearly, I understand what you're after here. And could not have been more wrong. At some level, it makes me think about that line from Princess Bride, if you're familiar with that movie. Uh, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? Breakdowns in communication. I think when we come to points in Scripture is the Lord wants to offer us some things to be more clear. So I'm going to take the moment and let you in on something that we've been doing. This is what we've studied in 2023. In case you have not connected the dots on how our sermon series have fallen, here's where we've been. We started the year in 2 Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy and saying, this is how I've patterned my life, Timothy. If you're going to go the distance in ministry, I think this is what you need to know. This is how we approach having some resolutions for how we're going to live our life. And so we spent the first number of weeks this year studying that. When we finished that, we moved into on the road to worship, as if we're going to live a life like Paul is encouraging Timothy to live, we're going to have to learn how to worship the Lord. And so we spent the next five weeks looking at six different psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. It's what Israel, as they would have traveled, as they would have traveled up to Jerusalem for Passover, it's the psalms that they would have been singing, preparing their hearts to meet with the Lord. Why would you do that? Because we got to the emotions of Easter. And we looked at Palm Sunday, which we said the emotion of being frenzied, all of the energy of it. We talked about Good Friday. We talked about the despair of Friday night, only to be met with the incredible joy of Easter Sunday morning. 
And we came out of that and thought, if that's true, then how could we be transformed? Because one of those Psalms of Ascent talked about the fact that we can have a trust that is so strong that even though the world gives way underneath us, that we could stand firm in the midst of this world, in the chaos of this world. So we talked about seven characteristics that would be there if you were, had that kind of trust. If you remember that study, we get towards the end, it's somehow that you have an understanding that God has entrusted each and every one of us with three resources, your time, your talents, and your treasures. And the invitation to you is to join God in the work that he's doing, that you and I would be invited into that to use those resources for his purposes, such that the final characteristic that we would be a reflection of Jesus Christ in this world. That's his plan. That's what he's asking of us. And yet we recognize that we don't always do that. And so when we don't always do it, that was our last series, Malachi. Heavy words from a loving father that comes to you and says to you and to me, you're not living what I'm asking of you. You're not the reflection that I'm asking you to be. How's that play itself out? Well, if you were here for that series with us, you would look back and say, okay, the first one was God says, I love you. And that we raise our fists and say, oh, you think you love us? This is what a loving God does? And then we talked about the fact that we don't know how to worship very well. And then we may not value marriage, the marriage covenant, the way he values the marriage covenant. And then we may not value justice and how we care for our fellow image bearers along the way. The reality that we've got to prepare our hearts for what lies ahead in this faithless world that we're living in. How do we remain faithful in the midst of a faithless world? And then he said, because judgment's coming and there is a time where the clock's going to stop and where we stand is where we stand and it all matters. So it's against that backdrop that we move into our series today, What Lies Ahead. We're going to take the next four weeks and we're going to talk about some of that judgment stuff that we had in the last sermon series. Because Malachi the prophet is writing about these things and it all matters. And if we don't understand what's going on in this, is maybe there's a chance we can know a little bit more. Because it's in the miscommunication that people can really lose hope. They can become distressed and distraught in it. So let me make this statement. We recognize is that there are people who are brothers and sisters in Christ that can vary on the topics we're about to teach. And that's true of anything, really. But when we come to this topic, I want to make it really clear. We know that there are Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, faith-walking Christians that arrive at different conclusions on some of the things we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. And that is okay. There are still brothers and sisters in Christ. That is not in jeopardy when we talk through this. As people, as we seek to understand the scriptures and be theologically consistent as we look at the whole of this book, that we're going to present that to you as we walk through this. So today, when we begin this series, we're going to look at this idea of two things that happen. And sometimes when we talk as believers, I hear believers use these two things almost as though they're synonymous. And they're not. They are two different events for two different groups of people with two radically different outcomes with two different hopes. And so when we talk about it, we're going to talk about the rapture. We're going to talk about the second coming or the return of Christ, depending on what your terminology is. But we're going to talk about these things as we lean into this today. So we're going to begin with this part on the rapture. Now, if you think with me about the incarnation, that's what we celebrate at Christmas when Jesus comes as a baby. And then we have the ascension, which is after the resurrection when he returns up to glory. Okay? 
that has us living in the church age, the time when you and I are living now. This time, this church age will end with the rapture as we understand it. And there is nothing that has to take place, nothing that has to happen before the rapture will occur, okay? So with that, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As we look at it, we're going to talk about these two events. Uh, We've titled this one, Seeing Jesus, because between these two events, the whole world will see Jesus, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The term rapture comes from verse 17. So if you look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, let's start there. I recognize it's a little bit of the middle of a thought, but we're going to come back and look at this passage as a whole. Paul writes this in 4.17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. If you see that phrase, caught up, that's a word, uh, the Greek word is harpazo. Now, I've got the word up here so you can see it because you may think, well, that sounds like another word that I may know. And it's where we get our word harpoon from. And so within that, the word means this, as Thayer in his lexicon tells us, it's used of a divine power transferring a person marvelously and swiftly, and I love that description, marvelously and swiftly from one place to another to snatch or catch away marvelously and swiftly. It's the idea that the Lord is going to harpoon the church out of this church age. How will it be? Marvelously and swiftly. Taking us from this earth and this church age up into meeting the Lord and being with him forever and ever and ever, for all time. There will never be a day apart from the Lord for the church ever again at that point. Still thinking, where's the word rapture come from? The Latin word rapturo is the equivalent to the Greek word harpanzo. So that's where we end up with that word. So when you hear the word rapture, that's where it comes from. It really stems from the Latin version of the Greek word that gets here caught up. Now, if you're thinking about what that world's going to be like, marvelously and swiftly, I want you to think with me for a moment. How will we know? Well, we're going to get into this passage. There's going to be three things that we hear that According to Scripture, there's nothing that leads us to believe that the world will hear it, only the church will hear it. And when we say church, there's two kinds of churches we talk about. There's the local church. If you think lowercase c, we're a local church. If you think capital C, it's the universal church. It's every believer who's ever lived. Even if they've passed on or if they're alive today, it's the capital C church. There's nothing that leads us to believe that the world will hear any of the three things. The first is going to be the Lord and his command. And then the second is going to be the voice of an archangel, probably Michael. And then third is going to be a trumpet. And that's setting us up for this moment when the church will be raptured or harpooned out of this place marvelously and swiftly into the very presence of our Lord. Now, if you think with me for a moment, there's an amazing moment of time. And if we know the Lord, we're not going to be here, but it's going to be a crazy moment. And it's going to be the moment when the church has been raptured, there is going to be a period of time, and we do not know how long it's going to be, but there will be a period of time where there is not a single believer on this earth. Now let that sink in for a moment. I described that there are people that are Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, faith-walking people that come to different positions on these things. There is going to be a moment in time after the rapture, where there is not a single Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, faith-walking person on this earth. 
and what a world that's going to be. But this rapture is great news for the believer. If you would look with me up at verse 13, and we're going to read this section. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It appears as though Paul had taught enough about this moment. Is that the people that he was writing to in Thessalonica are understanding, okay, there's going to be this moment where all this spectacular event is going to take place. But they're left with the idea that those of us who are alive, it's, that'll be great. But what about our friends? What about our brothers and sisters, moms, dads, family members that have already passed away? What happens to them if they don't get to hear the voice of the command of the Lord, if they don't get to hear the voice of the archangel or get to hear the trumpet, what about them? And so Paul starts and he says, hey, we, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, euphemism for somebody who's passed away. We don't want you to be uninformed by that. We want you to know is that the Lord has a plan for them that's a unique plan, that's a good plan that you may not grieve as others who do not have a hope. You're not going to grieve as those without hope. You know what it doesn't say? You're not, it doesn't say you're not going to grieve. Death was never part of the plan. That is a part of the fruit of what came out of Genesis chapter 3. And death is common to the human experience, and yet we recognize that that isn't enough to take away the grief. We all grieve death. Jesus himself grieved death, Right? Lazarus dies, Jesus goes, and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. What a spectacular moment. And yet overcome with the grief of having lost his, lo his loved, beloved friend Lazarus, as before he raises him, he sits down and weeps over the reality of death and what that means. Everybody grieves death, Jesus included. And yet the words that we read here is we're grieved, but not as others who have no hope. What's the distinctive for the person who you can grieve for, but not without hope? Is the reality that they know who Jesus Christ is and that they spend an eternity from him. And as we're going to talk about today, the reality that this, the, the death of this world ushers us into the presence of the Lord. And what a moment that's going to be for the believer and we're going to talk a lot more about that as we go. But come back to the passage. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, see, there's the gospel. We're going to grieve, but not as those without hope. See, the difference between the way this world grieves is they have no idea what's next. There's no ability to celebrate that this death is a passing or a doorway into the next world, into the presence of God. That's not there for them. 
But for those of us who know him, those of us who believe that Jesus died and he rose again, we have the opportunity to celebrate the goodness of God, that that person that we love, we will grieve the absence of their daily interactions. We will grieve the opportunity to engage them and to love them and care for them and laugh with them. But our hope goes well beyond that. They've been moved into the presence of God and we can celebrate that. And that's part of why he says, we're going to grieve for sure but not as those without hope. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Do you see Paul's words there? If you look back at those words, it is clear that Paul anticipated that the Lord's coming was going to be during his lifetime. When we talk about the imminent hope of the Lord's rapture, Part of it being imminent means it could happen at any time. Paul, I think, believed it was going to happen during his life. We declare to you by word of the Lord that we who are alive, we who are left at the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. I think he's living in the imminency of saying it could happen today. And this is first century. So notice this. Imminent always is imminent. You never get more imminent, and there's no signs. And we can look around, and if you're like me, you can watch the news, you can see all the evil going on around us, and you and I can look up and say, man, it's got to be getting close, right? I think Paul was doing the same thing 20 centuries ago. I'm looking around at the world, and I'm telling you guys, it's getting close because I think we're going to be caught up in this too, Imminent is imminent. And for him, as he's talking about these people, look at what he goes on to say, is that we are going to, we're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep. Is the idea that this is so real, is that the moment that somebody passes away, if you know the Lord, your spirit and your soul separate from your physical body. And the spirit and the soul immediately go into the presence of the Lord. I think that's what Paul's talking about when he writes to the church at Corinth. Yes, we are good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's not an in-between. Is What happens is the moment of your passing, your spirit and your soul, I think, get ushered into the presence of God, and your physical body gets put into the ground. And that really was their physical body. We don't diminish that. We recognize that. But we recognize also that the spirit and the soul gets transported to heaven. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, there's an interesting verse where it says, the souls of the martyrs are crying out for justice. So whatever that means, if they're crying out for justice, there seems to be some kind of temporary body that they're given because you can't cry out without vocal cords. And so we live in this moment where we've got our loved ones that have gone on to glory and they're in the presence of God and they're there worshiping, but their bodies have been left in the ground. And catch what happens here in this moment. We declare to you by word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, I want you to think with me. When we talked at Easter about Jesus telling Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Now, I made the comment on that Easter Sunday is that because he said the name Lazarus, I don't think everybody, everybody came out. 
Had he not said Lazarus, I think everybody's walking out. And so when we read about the Lord's command here, I imagine that it's going to be something along the lines of come out, church, come home. I don't know what it's going to be, but there's going to be a command of the Lord that calls the church forward. And then we're going to hear the voice of an archangel. Michael, what's that going to sound like? What's the Lord's command going to sound like? What is Michael going to sound like? And can you imagine what that trumpet's going to sound like? And for those of us who are alive, I would imagine you've never heard anything more beautiful in all of your life. And yet I will add this. For our deceased loved ones that have gone on and are in, in the presence of God and have been buried here on earth with us, they're going to hear it too. Because in that moment, when the Lord says whatever he's going to say, come out, come home, whatever it's going to be, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we're going to have those of us who are alive come follow behind in that moment. And in that moment, we find that we are going to be like him. John writes about it this way. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We don't know what these resurrection bodies are going to look like, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's our future. That's what's going on. You know, we don't know a whole lot about resurrection bodies. The only person that we know anything about the resurrection body is Jesus. Now, think with me. Those who knew Jesus after his resurrection could recognize him. Some of them recognized his voice. The disciples were behind a locked door. He walked through the locked door. That's different. And yet he still had his wounds because Thomas said, I need to see him. I need to touch him. And so whatever this resurrection body is, there is that what lies ahead for us. And we're going to be like him. Now look with me, if you would. What's the timing of this? Well, we're going to be, those of us who are alive, we're going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet him. But there's nothing else that has to happen. There's nothing else that has to happen in this moment. It's why Paul writes to Titus and he refers to this blessed imminent hope. Look at what he says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's the church age. That's where we are now, okay? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is where we're headed. This is what we're doing. And I love that it's called our blessed hope. Like you and I may say this week, I hope it isn't triple-digit heat every day this week. And you and I are saying that as a wish. Scripture doesn't use hope that way ever. Scripture uses the word hope that there's a certainty. It just hasn't happened yet. And when you take that, that we're waiting, this life is about waiting for that moment when Jesus will appear and we will hear the command of God, we will hear the voice of the archangel, we will hear that trumpet. Until that time, what do we do? Well, that was the first part that he told Titus. Bringing salvation, God's bringing salvation to all people. Here's what he's doing with it. As we wait, he's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's how we wait. And in our moments, up until that blessed hope appears and we hear the voice of God, the voice of the archangel, and we hear that trumpet, this is what we keep doing every day, all day long. We keep renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. We keep showing up to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. 
That's our calling. That's how we're to live this life out and live in this moment. Because the reality is, as he tells us, there's nothing else that needs to happen. Like a thief in the night, this is going to happen. And oh, that we would be caught in the moment where we're honoring him as a true reflection of him. Stewarding those resources, our time, talents, and treasure. Stewarding those things that he's entrusted to us for his purposes so that we might be a reflection for him in this world. That's the wonderful gift that the Lord has given us. Do you see where this is going to happen? Verse 17. We're going to be up together in the clouds. See, in this moment, in the rapture, the church is going to go to meet him. He's going to be in the clouds. This isn't the second coming. Jesus will appear in the clouds, and then he will call us up, and we will go meet him. Now, that's a different way. That's one way we know that this is a distinct part of God's plan on what's going on. Now, we see a precursor to this that we can trust when we see it recorded for us in Acts 1. When Jesus said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Okay? So now we have this set up that there's going to be this cloud that's going to matter for how we're going to move forward in this. Now, what a day that's going to be. If you would, turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. This is a parallel passage. We get some different information in this passage. Still the same author, but it's being written to a different church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you look with me starting in verse 51, we can get a chance to get some new information here. Same event, but some different information. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're all going to be changed, okay? How so? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last moment, there is nothing else that has to happen for this rapture to happen. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen 20 centuries from now. Paul thought it was going to happen. We still live in it. Imminent never gets closer, okay? I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying when it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now, every person in this room, regardless of age, those of us of a certain age and higher are more acutely aware of this. Our bodies are breaking down, right? These bodies are not made for eternity. And when Paul is writing this, I think he wants us to notice is that the doorway or the gateway to eternity requires a new body because this body that you and I are saddled with is perishable and it is mortal which is why he can ask the question or say, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because what every person who knows Jesus Christ knows is that if we're going to be ushered into the presence of the Lord marvelously and swiftly, we need a body that's built for eternity. And this one that you and I are housed in now isn't there. 
And so now we get to live in that and live that out. That's why you can say, death, where's your victory? You mean death, which seemingly had the, the last word, really just ushers and prepares a person with a new imperishable body that's immortal to go into the presence of God and live out all the days from this point forward with him? Where's the sting in that? We're still going to grieve, but we're not going to grieve as those without hope because we know where they're headed. Come back to what he says in verse 56. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because all of a sudden what we see is your life matters and your death matters and what's next matters. And we get called to that. So in the meantime, in this church age, you know what we're to be about? Being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What a marvelous truth that God has said, your life here matters. You're not just running out the clock. Everything you're doing is sharing the heart of God that somebody may see Christ, ask you about him, and respond to the gospel. And that one day maybe they too will have this moment where they hear the command of God, the voice of the archangel, and hear the trumpet. Because oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. And there is no, nothing in Scripture, there is nothing or no thing in Scripture that tells us that the world will have an awareness of what has transpired. And yet, imagine the world the moments after the rapture when there's not a single Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, faith-walking person on this earth. They will miss the fruit of our lives as we've been an accurate reflection to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. But they don't appear to hear those three things at all. So what do we do with this? Because that rapture is real, but this second coming, the return of Christ, it's real too. And it's going to usher in a different time period. And as we look at that, it's also going to coincide with the Battle of Armageddon. So I would like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Zechariah. And you may want to look at your table of contents to find Zechariah. Malachi is immediately before the book of Matthew, which is where we were in our last sermon series. One page before that in Malachi is where you need to be, Zechariah chapter 14. Now, as we go through this, I'm going to read this and let you experience the text, okay? So I'm going to start in Zechariah chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor, light, nor night, 
But at evening time there shall be light on that day. Living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord would be, will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Drop down, if you would, to verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. It's a real different picture than the rapture, isn't it? That's why we need to be clear. So often, I can't wait for the Lord to return. This is what describes the Lord's return. What we long for is to be at home with the Lord, and that's going to take place in the rapture. So let's talk about it. Who are the participants? What's going on in this? Well, one, Matthew, we read in Matthew this, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The whole world is going to be involved in this revelation. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, Amen. See, when Jesus came the first time, he came as a helpless baby. He couldn't even support his head. Mary had to do that and hold his head. The second coming isn't one about humility at all. It is the Lord coming back, and we're going to continue to read more about that. And the whole world will take note. So the world will see, but look who else will see. And the armies of heaven, that's everybody who was raptured. That's every brother and sister in Christ whether or not they were alive at the rapture or not alive at the rapture, they're all there. They're all arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, and we're following Christ in this moment. That's who's taking place. That's who's involved in this. What's the timing of it? Well, whereas the rapture's imminent, there's nothing else that has to happen. It could happen in the next moments. We have a few signs that happen here one of which is immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, right? So we know that the tribulation is a seven-year time period that'll start sometime after the rapture and will take place. And at the end of that seven-year time period, well, we got a few signs. One, the tribulation, then the sun's gonna go dark. The moon will be dark, of course, because the sun's dark. And then the, suns will, the stars will fall from heaven. And then will appear. And what a moment that's going to be. In heaven, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Every believer who's ever lived, every believer raptured, coming together with the Lord, with the Lord leading his army of believers behind him, arrayed in white linen, pure. And we're coming back to earth. That's the second coming. That's the second coming. And it's real distinct from the rapture and how we're going to understand it. Where is he going to go? Well, we had a little heads up in the book of Acts. We looked at part of this section just a minute ago. Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, Jesus said these things, they were looking on his followers. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now let's be clear. 
If you'd just seen Jesus go through his crucifixion and his resurrection, and now he's with you, and now all of a sudden you're seeing him ascend into heaven on the clouds, guess what you and I would be doing? We'd be doing the same thing. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will go, excuse me, will come in the same way as you saw him go up into heaven. In the same way. So when we get this, look, let's go back to Zechariah 14 that we already read in verse 4. On that date, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by very wide valleys, so that one half of the mount shall be moved northward and the other southward. When Jesus ascends into heaven, the words are, the next time you see him, you're going to be standing right here. And you're going to see him come back here. You're going to see the cloud. He's coming back the same way he left. And so his fulfillment is intentional. It's prophetic. It's exactly what he said. Now, let me give you some visuals. This is the Mount of Olives. That's an olive tree that we're looking through. And you can see the Dome of the Rock. You can see the Temple Mount there. And so when Jesus is going to come back down, he's going to come back right there. And it's going to split. There's going to be a big valley. Now, what you can't see because of this picture, although we're going to highlight right there, is a gate. The gate back into the city. This is what the gate looks like. Now, let me tell you, I can applaud their attempts. But if you think closing up that gate is going to stop him, you're wrong. If you want to think ceremonial law, that a Jewish person couldn't be in contact with the deceased, then go ahead and plant a cemetery between the Mount of Olives and the gate into Jerusalem. And do whatever you think you can do to stop him. And let me encourage you. If God says that I'm coming back, it doesn't matter what you attempt to do. You cannot thwart the plan of God. Build up the gate close up the gate, put a cemetery between it, and that's less likely our thing. But maybe, as Zephaniah says, maybe we think our silver and our gold can deliver us from that day. There's nothing stopping the Lord. There is nothing that will thwart God's purposes on this day. Because, as Zephaniah goes on to say, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end, he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. So it's a real different perspective It's a real different time. One more passage I'd like to invite you to turn to. Turn with me to Revelation Revelation chapter 19. It'll be a revolution, all right? Revelation chapter 19. It's the last book of the Bible as we look at it because we have another accounting for what's going to happen when he shows up on the horse with the church behind him. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven... Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called to all of the birds that fly directly overhead, come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and saved, both small and great. Now look with me, if you would, down at verse 21. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all those birds, all those birds of prey that he said, come and gather for the great supper of God, all those birds were gorged with their flesh. So last week, we wrapped up Malachi and we looked at this passage. You and I can look around and say, Lord, you're so slow. Or why aren't you doing anything? I love that Peter put this in there. The Lord's not slow. He's patient. He's patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. When he comes to the rapture and we hear his command, come home. We hear the voice of the archangel. We hear that trumpet. He wants everybody to participate in that. And yet we know everybody won't. But that doesn't stop him from longing for people to respond to him. He's being patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. And we're not talking about, as we said last week, these aren't just the worst people in the world. These are just people that have rejected God that don't see Jesus for who he said that he is. These are people that are under our roofs with us. These are the people that we go socialize with, that we're on the tea box with, that we're at the restaurant with, the people that we love and care for. And the Lord doesn't want them to perish. And we don't want them to either right? Which is why we have to keep saying, Lord, draw me, use me, use my time, talents, and treasures, use my resources. Let me be a reflection of you because this world needs to see you because this day is coming with certainty. Use me for your purposes because the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Heavens will pass away with the roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all its works that are done on it will be exposed. That's the reality of the world that we're coming to. And so I guess I would ask you to consider, let's be really clear. The rapture is for the church, capital C. The return is for all people. But the position of the unbeliever and the believer are going to be radically different. The believer is riding behind the Lord Jesus Christ in victory. And the unbeliever is facing the wrath of God. The timing for the rapture is imminent. Nothing else has to happen. Nothing has to happen for that moment to occur. Return's going to be at the end of the tribulation. The location, the rapture takes place in the clouds. We go to him. The return is at the Mount of Olives. He comes to earth. The hope of the rapture, we will be physically present with our Lord, at home with him, and we will never, ever be separated from him again. For the return, our hope is this that there will be a judgment that is righteous. It is whole, it is complete, and evil has finally been defeated. And we will live in this new world. If I were to ask you today, some of you will remember, where were you when John F. Kennedy got assassinated? And some of you can tell me just like that. I could ask you a question. Do you remember where you were when the, the space shuttle exploded and fell out of the sky? I remember that day. Maybe you remember where you were 9-11. Here's what I would tell you. You will want to be a part of the day when the Lord says, come home. And you hear Michael 
and you hear the trumpet. You don't want to be on earth for the second coming. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, if you're watching and you do not know the Lord, know this, is that our sin, our rebellion against God created a chasm that is so great that we can't cross it. We can't give enough away. We can't be strong enough. We can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't memorize all of the Bible and have that be enough. No, the problem with sin is the wage was death, and we all have that. And we've been separated from God. We needed a sinless substitute, which is Jesus Christ, who could go and pay the wage of sin because he hadn't earned it himself. And so he goes to the cross, and he pays the wage of sin, and he defeats death, and he walks out of the grave on day three. And he offers you and me life. The day we want to remember is a day that is known as our blessed imminent hope. That's where we want to be. That's the moment we long for. So let me encourage you with a few things if we wrap up. What do we need to know? Be encouraged. God is not slow. He's patient. And people are coming to faith daily. People continue to see his son for who he said that he is. Take great comfort in that. We wait patiently. Because we know that every day we wait, another person is involved in the rapture. Everybody gets a chance to respond to that. What else do we know? God's in control. He sees your faithfulness. And he will bring his church home at the rapture. And we will be with him forevermore. He sees. So keep living in the church age. Be steadfast. Abide in love. Represent Christ. Be a reflection. Do all of those things. Know this. God's judgment is certain. And all who do not know him will face an eternity without him. That is a reality of this life. There's a day coming when evil will be defeated and eradicated. Know that. Celebrate that. We long for that day. Righteousness and justice will prevail. And then finally, know this. As we await our imminent hope, we live out our faith because we know that we could see him today. And we continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that's desperately in need of our Savior. There is no other Savior. He is it. He and he alone. And so as we're here, we're not just running out the clock. We're seeking to go into the world with the resources of time, talents, and treasures that the Lord has entrusted to you for you to go be a reflection of him in a world that desperately needs to see our Savior because the world knows no other Savior other than him. And we know him. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.